One of the easiest ways to track the increase the increasing nature of this disease in the society in which most of us are from and all of us now live, United States of America, is the ever-increasing size of coffee cups. A hundred years ago, the average coffee cup was that little china cup you see in your grandmother's cabinet when you visit her over the holidays. It could hold comfortably four ounces of coffee. And those four ounces of coffee weren't brewed as strongly as they are now. In the 1950s, the size of the coffee cup increased to about eight ounces. My friend is holding a coffee cup over here right now, and he's signaling me with it. (laughs) It's not a condemnation, Jim. Uh, Eight ounces was the average coffee cup size back in the vintage days of the 1950s, but still, coffee wasn't brewed as strongly. They called it water dressed in brown, is what one poet called coffee of the day. Water dressed in brown. Then the coffee culture emerged in which you now live. Coffee shops popping up everywhere. Starbucks is only one example, one iteration, the most franchisable one perhaps. The the standard size for coffee at Starbucks, if you ask for their smallest, they ask you what size do you want? You say, well, whatever the small is. You know what they tell you? What do they name it? Tall. Tall, 12 ounces, that's 240 milligrams of caffeine. The daily limit, not recommended amount, the daily limit the FDA gives us for caffeine intake is 400 milligrams. If you drink two, yeah, yeah, right? Ah! (laughs) If you drink two tall coffees, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, you are significantly over, not the recommended amount, the daily limit for healthy living. You are increasing your chance of hypertension, increasing the risk of heart disease, raising your anxiety, upping your stress level, and diminishing your capability of doing work over the long haul. Ah! When I became associate professor, you know, most of us aren't actually professors that work here. They gave us all these other different names to, to keep us in our place until one day we finally reached the word professor. You know, in most careers, they add things to you when you get promoted. When you're a professor, they take things away. So uh, I got promoted from, uh, you know, instructor to assistant professor. And then when I became associate professor, which doesn't sound impressive, wow, you're associate. So who's actually doing the work, right? When I got promoted to associate professor, they gave me this little gift. It was a, a coffee mug that's bigger than a soup bowl with Indiana Wesleyan University printed around it. A bright red mug that would hold a venti. One cup like that and I'm already over the limit without eating any chocolate, without taking an Excedrin for the probably soon to come headache that also has caffeine in it. That's just one set of the symptoms. Let me see actually in a more personal way if you might be dealing with it. How many times uh, in the last seven days have you complained to someone you know about how tired you are? Just try to number it for yourself. Pause for a moment if you're on your computer or doing studying for a test or looking at your phone because you're stressed out. And name for a moment how many times you've complained to someone about how tired you are. Probably multiply that by three because we like to think of ourselves better than we are and we're forgetful creatures. And that's probably about how many times you've consciously registered that you're overtired. 
How many times in the last seven days have you felt consciously overwhelmed, stressed, and had the thought come to mind, I don't know how I'm going to get it done? You are infected with the disease. It's an illness that is infesting our entire society. It's damaging us. It's taking marriages and ripping them apart. When you're tired, when you're overstressed, when you're overanxious and you're also amped up, you get testy, you get cranky, you use sharp language. Sharp language upon sharp language starts to spiral out. This isn't just a simple, laughable matter. Families are being torn apart because of this illness. Which brings me to Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles with you today, I encourage you to pull them out. If you want to look on a tablet or a phone, that's actually a good use of those things. Search for Exodus chapter 20. It's the second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 20 is the, the chapter that brings us the Ten Commandments. We're in a series right now, every Monday you might remember, called Free to Run, where we're saying these commandments aren't meant to be burdens, aren't meant to be chains, aren't meant to be obligations and duties to which we're bound and enslaved. Instead, they are the path that in which we can run safely. When we live in God's commands, we're free to run. We're set free from other things. Instead of a restrictive boundary, it's a protective boundary. When you live within that protective boundary, you're able to run. You're able to go faster and more freely with safety. Think of the, like a difference of hitting a, a going in the center of the lane versus hitting the rumble strip. When you start to break this, it's just a rumble strip. You're about to die you might want to come back into the middle for your own sake. The fourth commandment is the one we're focusing on today. It's the commandment that deals with the Sabbath. Let me read it to you. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant or manservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a gift. Now, in the first reading of that, when you're still trying to figure out what the disease is, you might think that this passage is telling you that the disease is work. That's the problem with our culture. We work, 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 and so we work ourselves to death, and we want more caffeine so we can do more work, blah, 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 blah. We haven't even talked yet about the five-hour energy drink, which has 80 times the recommended dosage of B12, by the way, in one two-ounce serving, which leads to increased chance of stroke, increased chance of heart disease, and increased chance of autism in your children if you're pregnant. Whoa, we haven't even talked about that yet. It's probably work, 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 and so we want more energy so we can do more work. And yet, if this passage is giving us the cure, which I think it is, it doesn't name the disease. It just gives us the cure. We have to discern the disease. If it's giving us the cure, and it was seven pills, let's say. I don't think it's really more like pills, but let's just say it's seven pills. Six of the pills are what? You can all say it. It's as obvious as the nose on your face. Six of the pills are work. Only one is rest. 
And we know from the rest of scripture that work isn't evil, work is good. In the New Testament, we're told whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord, not unto people. In other words, our work is worship. Work isn't separate from what is sacred. Work is sacred, it's beautiful, it's good. We're made to do something that produces value in the world that helps others and makes the world better. That's what we're made to do. And it's fulfilling when we have it. Proverbs tells us that the work of the laborer, I'm sorry, the rest of the laborer is sweet. That our rest isn't sweet is the implication if we haven't done work. So if work isn't the disease, what is the disease? Uh, Maybe I can give you another side of the symptoms that is also present in our culture. There was a runaway bestseller some years back. I don't remember the exact year it came out. A guy by the name, last name of Ferris published a book called The Four-Hour Work Week. Have you heard of that book? It was a runaway bestseller, one of the most highlighted books, actually the top most highlighted book in Amazon history, if I remember right. People highlighting, highlighting, highlighting on their Kindle copies. It was just fantastically flying off the shelves. And in it, he described how you could have just a four-hour work week. Make yourself look like an expert, publish things online, then recruit people from overseas that you pay low wages because they live overseas, then recruit one person in the States, I'm summarizing his book exactly, then recruit one person in the States who supervises all of those low wage workers overseas, and then you only have to supervise that one person and you've outsourced your life, you do it in four hours a week, now you can do whatever you want. Sounds great. He travels the world, he learns karate, he does yoga, he learns languages, he goes all over the place. Everybody wanted to have that life. That's the same disease. On the one hand, we have people who want to do more work and do more work so they can produce more so they can have more. On the other hand, we have people who want to get more people to do their work so that they can enjoy more and experience more. On the one hand, you're doing all the work. On the other hand, you're getting other people to do the work. It's the same disease. It's a four-letter word. You want to know the name? More. M-O-R-E. When you do travel overseas, no single word captures what the rest of the world thinks is wrong with American society better than that word. More. Some of us want more work so that we can have more stuff, so that we can have more money or more power or more success. Others of us want, it seems like less work, but what it really is, is we want more experiences, more pleasure. And we want others to do the work for us. And so we want more, 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 more. That's the disease. And you'll know it's true if you read back in the context before these commandments are given. Do you remember where the Hebrews were? They were enslaved to Egypt by a Pharaoh who kept asking for more. And one of the first things God does and makes it a central sign of the covenant with them is he says, keep the Sabbath. A philosopher by the name of Hegel, anybody read anything about Hegel? Have you been in your philosophy classes lately? A philosopher, great philosopher by the name of Hegel, penned a little piece called the master-slave dialectic. And he said, if we don't transcend the master-slave dialectic, our entire societies and the entire world will continue to spiral back and forth between the two. Those who were slaves will react to being enslaved and internalize the results 
and then enslave others once they're free. Generation upon generation upon generation. Happens in Genesis and Exodus, by the way. God knew that it's one thing to get a slave out of slavery. It's another thing to get slavery out of slaves. And it's a strong temptation when you've been mastered to want to master. It's a strong temptation to want to build your own kingdom so that you can have more of your own or to get someone else to run the kingdom so you can do less and experience more. Either one is slavery. It's not who we're supposed to be. And you can be a rich slave. Welcome to America. And just as a pause note, I love this country. But I see this country. So if the disease is more, what's the cure? Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You know how the Jews have greeted each other for centuries on the day of the Sabbath? Shabbat Shalom. Have you heard that? Shabbat Shalom. So Shabbat is the Hebrew word in this passage for Sabbath. It's a word that's unique. It's not anywhere else. Best guess is that it comes from the Hebrew word Shavat, a softened B sound. The letter is the same, just one dot in Hebrew changes things. So Shavat means rest or cease. So Shabbat is the day in which we rest or cease. So Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath, peace. But it's not just peace meaning absence of war. Shalom means well-being, contentedness, an inner sense and an outward sense that all things are well and right. Sabbath is supposed to bring us peace. That's the big aha for me. Sabbath isn't a rule I'm supposed to follow. It's a gift I've been given. And when it tells me to keep the Sabbath, it's kind of like, imagine I gave you an eye watch for Christmas. That'd be a nice gift. I give you an eye watch, I wrap it up in a pretty package and I give it to you. When you put it on your wrist, you are keeping the gift. You're not binding yourself to it, hopefully. You're binding it to you. If you bind yourself to it and can never be free of it for any reason, now you've bound yourself to it, you're enslaved. But if it serves its purpose, it's serving you. And when you take it off and put it somewhere, you put it somewhere safe so that you can get it back again. You protect it, you keep it from damage. Sabbath is a gift that's supposed to bring us peace. And there's two parts to the command and that, therefore I think there's two parts to the cure. Remember the Sabbath, Deuteronomy calls it observe the Sabbath, by keeping it holy. The first part is to cease work. Number one, cease work. Stop. <laughs> That's pretty simple until you try. It's pretty easy until you try to live it. Everything around you, all that is surrounding you in society and culture and all of the shapes and structures and habits are fighting against you ceasing work. But we are bodily and soul creatures. The first part of the Sabbath command, remembering the Sabbath, stopping work, brings peace into our souls through our bodies. When we stop, when we cease, peace comes into our souls through the gateway of the body. If you overwork yourself, if you overstress yourself, if you stay anxious, you're always running your engine on yellow or red. If you're constantly, ah, 
nonstop, you're wearing yourself down. Your engine is already falling apart. Why do you think you've said the last seven days how tired you are? Sometimes it's because you're pursuing too much leisure when you should be working. Sometimes it's because you're still working when you should be resting. And sometimes it's a cycle between the two. You did all the leisure stuff that you shouldn't have been doing while you should have been working. And so now you have to ramp up the engine to get your work done fast. The first part of Sabbath is to stop working. And that means you kind of have to plan for it to happen. You have to work ahead. Don't race past your rest line. Make the rest line your deadline. The deadline isn't when it's due. The deadline is when you're supposed to start resting. And that's the evening that Sabbath starts. Whenever your Sabbath day is, by sunset, everything should be done. Otherwise, you'll do an all-nighter to make Sabbath happen and you won't be rested. Do you see the wisdom in such a simple thing? So the first part is to cease work. Second part says by keeping it holy. So the second part is to seek God. Very simple, cease work, seek God. It's not a day on which we do anything we want. Go read Jeremiah 17, you'll find the condemnation of that kind of thinking. Oh great, I have a day off, I can do whatever I want. I don't wanna go do those spiritual things. This is the one day I can do whatever I want. When we follow that, when we do whatever we want, absolute freedom tends to lead us into slavery because of our carnal nature. We do things that don't ultimately bring us rest. The next show will start in 11 seconds, 10 seconds, nine seconds. Oh, that sounds fine, I'll just let it run. I'm not actually clicking a button. It's just kind of happening. The next show will start now in 11 seconds. Tense. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, look, I've been retweeted. Oh, I've been retweeted again. Better check and see if I've been retweeted. All of those activities aren't necessarily restful. What will bring peace into your soul by seeking God? When you contemplate, it lowers your stress level. When you meditate on scripture, it recenters you to true north. When you gather in worship, you feel more connected to people who have the same values with you and they support you in your endeavor to try to live the way Christ wants you to live. When we seek God, peace comes into our body through our souls. God wants to give you the Sabbath as a gift so that you can have peace in your body and in your soul so that you are whole. That's the good news. God wants to give you peace in your body and your soul so that you are whole. And the way to make that happen is Sabbath rhythms. It's not balance, by the way. Balance isn't a scriptural idea. I had someone ask me recently how I balance my life, how I get all the things done that I get done. And I wanted to say, well, it's not by balancing. It's six days you shall labor and one <laughs> you shall rest. For me, it's not about balance, it's about a sustainable rhythm. And if you truly recharge your battery, it takes less time to recharge it than it does to use it. Think about your phone, think about your computer. But have you ever noticed how much longer it takes to recharge when you're continuing to run the thing on full processor speed? Full stop, rest. Recharge. We're made to work hard and rest well. We're made for that. And it's a joyful and fulfilling life when we do it. 
So let's just imagine for a moment that you actually wanted to do this. Let's pretend. How would you go about it? Uh, two weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, I'd forgotten that I had this conversation. I'd been working the day before on this sermon. I was studying and planning things, and my kids found out they couldn't come to chapel. Sometimes they have a day off and they can come when I preach. They'd love to hear that. So they wanted to come. We said, sorry, you can't. Well, give us a summary. So I gave a brief summary, and they were asking questions about how to do Sabbath and how to pursue it, and I'd forgotten about it. Last night was Sunday night, and I was sitting on the couch. The sun had gone down, and now I was pulling back out the notes for the sermon. We'd had a wonderful day. It was a very meaningful, restful day for me, better than it had been in previous months because this stuff is fresh on my mind, convicting me, challenging me in new ways. My daughter sitting across on the couch says, how was your Sabbath, Dad? I asked her if I could share this. How was your Sabbath? I said, what? That's not language we've normally used. I said, what? How was your Sabbath? Well, it was really good, very peaceful, quiet, wonderful, actually. I feel renewed. Why are you asking that? Don't you remember we talked about it? No, I didn't remember we talked about it two weeks ago, completely forgotten. So being the good conversationalist that I try to be most of the time, I turned it back to her. How was your Sabbath? One of the best. This is what she said. It was so nice to not have any homework at all. This is the child we've worked for years to try to help her stop. But even though she gets the best possible grades, she never seems to know when it's enough because it could be better. It could improve. How do I know if I'll do well on the test? And fear gets a hold of her. This is the first time the last four years that I can remember on a Sunday she was able to say, of her own volition, not us making a rule, I didn't have any homework at all. It was all done. And she was at peace, a big, beautiful smile on her face. Can you imagine what your life would be like if that was true of you? How would you be experiencing this chapel right now differently, even you all the way up in the balcony with your papers and notebooks? If that was true of you today, all of your work for today was done by Saturday sunset. How would you feel differently about church? What if you did want that? How would you get it? I'm going to give you a GPS for it, two of them actually, that's why it's plural, GPSs, GPSs, <laughs> it's a dumb joke, GPSs. G is for gift. Treat the Sabbath as a gift, one that you want to protect and enjoy, not something that's a rule that you're bound to. It's a gift. Uh, Jesus tells us that Sabbath was made for us, not us for Sabbath. In other words, it's meant to serve us. So keep asking yourself questions like, what will bring me the most peace? What will bring rest into my heart? How could I feel more connected to God? Do those things. Treat it as a gift that you're to enjoy. That's G. P, plan. You should start planning right now for Saturday night. Plan out your work. Think through the rest of your week. What would you have to change about your week in order to make the work get done by Saturday night? If that was the deadline, because the deadline is your rest line, what would you need to change? You might have to stop doing a few things that you've been doing to fill those six days with the labor God told us to do. In other words, you might have to stop procrastinating. Yeah. Gift. Plan. The S, stop. When sunset hits, stop working. Say enough, because enough is the cure for more. 
If the grade will be a little bit lower, say enough. If you'll have a little bit less time for this thing or that thing, or even your X game kind of frenetic recreation, fine. If you can't go to climb time down in Indy for as long, fine. But get rest, stop work. So gift, plan, stop, and the final one, seek. Seek God, that's it. Find ways to seek God in a way that brings peace into your body through your souls. Here's my challenge for you today. The next 14 days, could you practice Sabbath twice? As my friend Ethan Linder tells me, if you can't get to a Sabbath the first time, at least get a sablet. Get a little riblet Sabbath. Get a mini Sabbath. Get a half rack of Sabbath. If that's all you can get to, it's at least a step in the right direction. Get a sablet. But try to get to two Sabbaths. That may mean you have to go to your employer and say, can I switch shifts? It may mean you have to work with one of your other low-wage earning friends and say, could we switch shifts? So your Sabbath is on Sunday and my Sabbath is on Saturday. I understand that you have complicated lives. But plan ahead and try to get two Sabbaths in the next 14 days. At the end of it, journal. Write about the change it makes in your life. I promise you if you do it and you do it well, you'll see it is a beautiful gift and it is a cure. But just like the cure for heart disease, it's not actually a pill. It's a change of life. And most people are so addicted to their way of life, they would rather die than change it. And so they do. Would you stand with me? Bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna do an old fashioned, old school response. Like it or not, I'm going to. Bow your head, close your eyes. If you think the Spirit is speaking to you and you need to take that challenge, all I want you to do, eyes closed. Yeah, I can actually see you all the way back there, yes, even up in the balcony, eyes closed. Yeah, believe it or not, we can see everything you're doing. Yeah, nice smile, that's great, but close your eyes. All right, just between you and God. If you feel like you need to take that challenge and get two Sabbaths in the next 14 days, that that's the Spirit speaking to you, not Dave. It's an invitation, not a guilt moment. Take this gift, it's good, but you won't realize how good it is until you use it. If you feel like that's you, all I want you to do is raise your hand up to God and say, I hear you, God, I'm committing right now. Next 14 days, as you enable me, as you help me, I'm going to get two Sabbaths in the next 14 days. Parents on visit day, students visiting, professors and administrators alike. Two Sabbaths, the next 14 days. Good, let me pray for you. Lord, with our hands lifted up, we ask for you to break every chain, just like we've sung about. But not just the chains that we see, the chains that are so common, and so every day we've stopped seeing them. Please, Lord, break the chain of more. Replace it with the contented joy of enough. Give us, please, Shabbat Shalom. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.